0: Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everybody. We also have Luke Stutters. Hello. Now, uh, John, I don't, I don't know if you're uh, making personal announcements, but you, you, recently had an addition to your family, right?
1: I, I did. Melanie Catherine is her name. She just arrived about a week ago, and she's healthy. Mom's healthy. We're all tired here, but we're good.
0: Oh, good deal. Well, congratulations
1: Thank
2: Congratulations you. on spawning your child process. <laughs>
1: yes, my spawn is very healthy right now. Good deal. Good to hear. All
0: right. Well, this week we're going to be talking about Ruby 3. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. This has kind of been a long time coming. Uh, We keep uh, talking about talking about it, and yeah, we finally pulled things together, and Decided to to get to it. So, yeah, just so that people are aware, it was released on Christmas of 2020. And Matt's has been talking about Ruby 3 by 3 for a while. It was three times faster by Ruby 3. And I, I can't remember. I think there was some other element to that. But that was kind of the crux of things, right?
1: Yep. We talked about it at a lot of Rails comps, I should say. Yep. We, mostly Aaron Patterson has talked about it at a lot of Rails comps.
0: Yep. Which is funny because, you know, for for Ruby, like some Ruby applications, some of the benchmarks I've seen is three times
2: faster, but for Rails, it's not. This is the big deal that the Ruby core team have done astounding things, but the benefit of those is not yet reaped by the vast majority of Ruby users.
0: Right. I think I went and looked at the Ruby benchmark that uh, Noah Gibbs does And yeah, it's basically on par with Ruby 2.7. And so, yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting just to put that out there to begin with. So if you're looking to upgrade from Ruby 2.6 or Ruby 2.7 to Ruby 3 to get a major bump in your performance on a Rails app, don't hold your breath.
2: That's the executive summary, yeah. I mean, it's not not all bad news. There's the promise. There's the promise of much, much higher performance as soon as the new features which we're going to go into are realized in the Rails ecosystem. system. And also it gives a kind of roadmap for improved Rails performance in the future.
1: At the same time, I think it is worth noting that it isn't massively slower. In fact, it's basically roughly at the same speed. So you're not losing anything mm-hmm. by doing it, at least speed-wise
2: in raw Ruby. No, the, the big the big rail speed bump came from kind of two to two point. I want to say five was the kind of the real ramp for Rails performance. That sounds right to me. I, I remember moving from like two
0: three to two six and kind of seeing that. That's where I kind of saw performance gains. So yeah, there was,
1: a, there was like a slowdown at three or something, but I think that got fixed. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. There was a slowdown in there that came after the ramp. Okay, maybe no one remembers it the same way that I do. That's okay.
0: It was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. I've also worked mostly on legacy projects. So, you know, we kicked the can down the road on upgrades a lot. We certainly were never a bleeding edge. So we always got to, we had the privilege of being like, well, I don't feel like upgrading right now. Let's wait and see what happens to everybody else.
0: Right. And then you come around to it when it's stabilized.
1: Yep. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that I've never done a .0 upgrade. I've only ever done a .1 that I can remember. Yeah. I mean, I had to do .0 to get there, but yeah. Yep. absolutely. Cool. So I, I
0: think we kind of got that out of the way because I, I
1: didn't want people to come in and go, oh,
0: there's all this cool stuff, and then just be like, oh, uh. So what are we looking at for Ruby 3? I mean, I went and read some articles. I think some of the, you guys did too.
2: So I'm curious what stood out to you. Getting more JavaScripty. That's the the big takeaway for me, having done a bit more uh, ES6 in the last month or so. There's a a very, very clear parallels between ES6 features and features that have been introduced uh, since Ruby 2.7.
0: Now, is that a function of just modern programming? Or is that a function of uh, common influence, which is kind of the same thing? Or is that a function of, uh, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's uh, Rails developers who are using these features in JavaScript and have then essentially said, "Why can't why can't we have this?"
1: I mean, we're due for that, right? Like, it's not like every uh, Rails or it's not like Ruby is like the uh, the place where every good programmer comes from or anything. There's plenty of good features in other languages to grab. Do you want to call out anything? Last for me. Thinking
2: about oh, <laughs> what, what was that, Chuck? It's just JavaScript JavaScript hate that exists and all of this bubbling to the surface. Stone him!
0: Stone the blasphemer!
2: Oh, uh, I tell oh, you, what, oh. I, do, I, I do love listening to DHH talk about JavaScript. <laughs> I never it, get tired of listening in, to that man talk about JavaScript. In my defense... I'm, I'm, I'm going to be working that. him to see if we can get him on to talk
1: about Hotwire, but yeah. That'd be cool. In my defense, I would say that I didn't say that there were good
2: programmers in JavaScript, specifically. <laughs> the general I'll uh, the, a little bit The general thrust of this I've taken is that I think most people are moving from 2.6. So my my grand plan here is to look at what's changed since 2.6, which is generally what's in production. And the high level overview of that is that 2.7 introduces the bulk of syntax. And um, language changes, and then 3.0 adds a few things and makes what used to throw a warning in 2.7 now an error. So my my grand plan is to go through the new features in 2.7, and then look at how Ruby 3 has formalized those. Now,
0: the, if we're taking that approach, I'm just going to point out this may take us two episodes. So if you're listening to this and it says part one on here, that's why.
1: <laughs> I uh because
0: there's a lot there. I'm sorry. That just is
1: there are a lot of things. I remember so I'm a huge Ruby weekly like person. Oh yeah. It's it's go super Peter. Great. Yeah. And I remember I, I want to say six months, maybe even a year ago. There was some article that came out that was saying, hey, 2.7 is doing keyword arguments this way and 3.0 isn't out yet, but it's going to do them this other way. And that's going to be a really big problem. And I read that article and I immediately said, "Okay, so I'm never going to install 2.7 because I just don't want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has sort of been my stance the whole time. So I've been like, so yeah, I I definitely have been waiting for 3 to come out with the intention of moving everything straight to three. I already started doing it with one thing, but I don't have anything to use as keyword arguments, so I'm not,
2: or at least that I have upgraded yet. So I haven't Exactly the up. opposite view in that I've got everything running 2.7. So do I yeah. actually. <laughs> I moved everything to 2.7, but the you don't have
0: to use keyword arguments. And so I kind of use them where I want them.
1: <laughs> I do have apps- Which is horrible. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not consistent. So, so yeah,
0: good. No, I'm just saying I'm not consistent. I don't use them all the time. So,
1: yeah, there are a lot of very good articles out there that, too, that like talk you through all three of them. And we can, we can probably link one as well. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. That just talks you through the differences because the problem is kind of nuanced. Like on the surface, it looks like you use them all the same way, but there are certain like edge case behaviors that you just need to know that you may be relying on.
2: The reason for my 2.7 across the board is because I I moved all my systems up to Ubuntu 20.04 as a base image. And because I had to hand a few things off, I redid the whole thing to use System Ruby, which, as everyone knows, is the absolute best choice. And System Ruby on Ubuntu is 2.7. That's where that came from. I totally forgot about that. I remember
1: seeing that. And I remember turning to my buddy and saying this is gonna like really hurt a lot of people accidentally who use system Ruby. Maybe no one uses I mean, I think we did the uh, the survey not too long ago that talked about what people were using and and I think that most people are using RBM, RVM or CH Ruby in, in production. So, but for the people that are using system Ruby, I don't maybe the people that use system Ruby are more aware of this. I have never used it for production.
2: For me, it's just a pragmatic choice because I don't have to explain RVM. I don't have to get into that level of information. I can just say, here are the five steps you need to set the system up from scratch. Now the project is handed over to you. And if you want to set up a different Ruby, you go right ahead. That's funny because
0: I use the Brightbox packages to make sure I just have the version I want. That's a very solid
1: tip. We'll (laughs) discuss this on our our, our, uh, system system setup explanation yeah because because uh, my five-step process includes docker so but yeah it's different
0: yeah that's true i am starting to look at deploying with docker i actually use docker in development but i haven't moved any of my apps in production over to docker and so that's something that i'm looking at now and that's probably makes it a whole lot less of an issue because you just yeah you use a, a pre-setup image with the right version on it
1: Oh sweet! All right. Were there any? All right. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I
0: was going to say, should we dive into two seven or no? Where were you going to go?
1: I was just going to ask if there were any features that anybody like particular, you know, has been particularly waiting on to happen.
0: Well, some of the concurrency stuff, but I think a lot of that came in two three or in three zero. Sorry. Yep. And I, I'm I still not agree. sure exactly how solid they are because some of it's still experimental. So
1: I will say that for my part as someone who is still working on legacy systems, I still get my advantage of letting everybody else, you know, test out Falcon server and things like this, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very excited about. Just very not excited that I can't use it yet. So we'll see how that goes. Why can't you use it? Uh, because I, I don't have, uh, whatever the threading thing that it has, um, it, you don't have it unless you're in 3.0. So. Ah, yeah. uh, right, gotcha. gotcha. And I have one app that is, you know, in a long path to getting to 3.0, but we're not there yet.
0: I can just Five see years. John. Did, did you cut yourself on that? Okay. We don't need it yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, it, many people talk about the whole like pioneer townsfolk a settler kind yep. of idea. Mm-hmm. I'm totally a townsfolk person. I'm usually not the last person there, but I usually like other people to be the pioneers of stuff.
0: Yeah, fair enough. <sighs> All so, right. Well,
2: let's dive into 2.7. Stuff to some features pattern matching. This is the first one. It is not pattern matching. Let me just make this clear. They've called it pattern matching, but <laughs> me, this is clearly not pattern matching, right? This is this is not a regular expression. So,
0: a lot of the pattern matching discussion that I saw going on was happening around the same time that I was doing the Elixir Mix podcast, right? Yeah so what they're looking at is they're looking at and and I haven't seen this link that you dropped in here and we'll put it in the in the delio as well here but yeah it's w- what you have in the 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 slides here that you're putting in looks a lot like pattern matching from elixir and yeah. and so yeah that's kind of what we're looking at here and it's a pretty handy feature and it's used very heavily in elixir and Elixir was heavily
2: influenced by Ruby, and it's interesting to see it kind of influencing back. So this is not pattern matching the string. This is matching structures. Yes. This is looking inside your array of objects and saying, I want the object with these properties. This is looking inside your array of, of strings and saying, I want the one that's a number.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to be most useful
2: for our
1: spec tests, actually. So, I don't know if you guys have ever done the whole like I want a hash that includes another hash that has this item in it. I don't care what the other item, you know, mm-hmm. and you do like a hash included, you know, and you nest a bunch of times or whatever and you have messy stuff right. like that. I feel like I feel like there's potential for this to show up there and maybe make that kind of stuff a little bit easier. And I feel I mean, you know, I, I the base case here is in uh, case statements or whatever. I feel I don't use case statements a lot, so I don't feel like I'm per- personally going to get tons of use out of that, right? But yeah, I, I that has been my thing is I kind of am hoping that our spec tests get a, a tad easier in that way. Well, the yeah. thing
2: that immediately came to mind because I've been working on Mongo uh, for the last month or so is dealing with things like MongoDB databases that don't have a fixed schema. So each record or document can have a wildly different structure, and often when you are working on a dev project, you'll have a kind of uh, persistent Mongo database between software versions. So you will have a a, a very a diverse group of um, documents where maybe a a keyword was introduced recently, but it isn't in all the older records, and the pattern matching can very easily pick them out. So instead of saying if this has this property. You use it as a filter saying, give me all the um, documents that have this property. And you just do that in one line instead of having the if in the end. I used
1: a lot of fetch and dig before, which I feel like is equivalent to that. But Mm. uh, it might be nicer to use this. Yeah, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I've used fetch a ton to get that. This, having written some Elixir, it is very convenient for, uh, yeah, I just care about these three areas of this overall structure. And so, yeah, I, I just want to extract data from it or I want, in, you know, for the case, right? In, in this case, I want this particular... St- anyway, it, it, it was really, really convenient way of thinking about how things go together and what parts of it I really care about and allowing me to ignore the rest of the extraneous stuff um the other thing that i can see here with the pattern matching that's really convenient is like pulling variables and stuff out of request variables and response variables in rails and rack and stuff like that right where i can just pull a param or i can pull a a, a header or things like that out just by knowing generally how it's put together.
2: Is no. No, this you? is slightly different to numbered params.
1: Are are you yeah, maybe I missed, I was trying to understand or clarify, Chuck, were you, were you referring to a different feature or you were saying you're using, you were thinking pattern matching might help you grab, rip that stuff out?
0: Yeah, pattern matching, in my opinion, could help you pull some of that out as well, because you can actually look at, like if you know the name of a, a header or something like that, or if you know that it's structured in a certain way then you can pull the header structure out and then you can actually inspect it for certain types of structures or certain, you know, things in there.
2: God, I thought you were talking about the implicit assignments you can do. So there's some... Yes, sugar. you can do that as well. And, uh, and since, that's also handy, right? Because you could, yeah, you could make implicit assignments out of your parameters or out of your headers. But yeah, so that's what, what I've been seeing a lot of in the S6 work is you can do this. It bends your mind when you come into it the first time. Um, but uh, they called it destructuring. But for me, it's an implicit assignment. So mm-hmm. instead of actually assigning the variable name, it does it for you by just typing the variable name with a colon after it and nothing after it. Yep. So this differs slightly from the ES6 where you don't put the colon after it.
0: Yeah, so- it's, it is a form of destructuring, but it's not. Typically, when you're talking about destructuring, you're talking about an array or a hash. And in this case, it's it's any structure that you have, as long as you know what it looks like internally.
1: I'm kind of interested to see how that pans out. Like maybe maybe it's a feature that we can use, right? But for example, mm-hmm. we, we don't, it's a stylistic commonality in Ruby, right? To not assign two things on one line if you can help it, right? And even though we can totally do it and it makes some things easier and there are certain cases when it totally makes sense, right? But I wonder if this ends up I wonder if this will get more decided as a stylistic thing. Um, that would be interesting. Because I looked Probably. at it and I was like, I don't, I don't know that I see a lot of benefit for me kind of thing. But a lot of things are discovered, right? Like, comes out, somebody's like, hey, check this out. Made my life easier. And then I'm like, oh, I was wrong.
2: Yeah, this is, it's always been less of an issue in Ruby because you can always return more than one thing from a Ruby method, but in JavaScript, you can only return one thing. So destructuring was kind of a big deal and saved you a lot of code, whereas this mm-hmm. this doesn't save you a massive amount of code, as you said.
1: Yeah, we have other tools for the job. And that's also part of kind of what I was thinking is it's, yeah. uh, it's hard to swap you out of your old feature if, if your old feature is good enough.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this one goes. Definitely.
2: The next one is really the big one. Which is the uh, position on keyword arguments for methods, and this I think is what's going to catch people moving to Ruby three. Catch in a good way or catch in a bad way? Catch in an enraging way. I don't know if they, you answered my question or not. The Ruby, the Ruby rage will be experienced. I think I've already experienced it myself. I mentioned on the previous show where I just what what's going on, and uh, I realized it was because of this change. I was getting all these warnings. Yeah, I think.
1: I think switching, if you explicitly want a hash, which I totally have done the thing right where I basically where because keyword arguments basically had the same exact syntax as a hash, I could get away with it. But yeah, and so I have some apps that are going to be problematic because I use it extensively. But for
2: most of my apps, not so much. It's the it's the double splat or double asterisk that bothers me because whenever I see a double asterisk. It kind of gives me flashbacks to C. And I kind of recoil instinctively from 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 a double a, a double splat. I was like, oh no, I don't want to.
1: I have I have two apps. No
2: plus apps. plus.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have no. two apps where I plus use plus. the yeah. double splat a lot. And I am now excited about those.
0: Yeah, I've I've definitely seen this warning, right? Where it's, you know, you're you're using a hash and you should be using keyword arguments and I think mostly I've seen it from like RuboCop because RuboCop is trying to prep me for it as well on my current work project and so it's it's saying no 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 we we're expecting that yeah but uh, I mean I I kind of and I go back and forth on like keyword arguments too just from the sense that in some ways I like kind of the explicit feel of keyword arguments but if I have one or two arguments, or if I'm just taking one argument, the keyword feels like overkill. And so I, I go back and forth too on whether I want one or whether I want the other, or whether I want both and how to separate them and all that stuff. And then the warnings just bother me. <laughs> so I don't know. I think, uh, I think,
2: go ahead.
1: You can roll. I, I like
2: them for, I use using, I think it was in the aux XML library. And when you're creating your, your pass object when you first start using it, then you've got these various options like, um, I don't know, enable C name equals true. And uh, that, I really, mm-hmm. really like that syntax for just first when you're first setting up yeah. a parser.
1: I, uh, for me, keyword art. Okay. So I've used the hash syntax for like a long time, right? The implicit Rails hash syntax, right? And that enabled me to have these flexible method definitions basically or to have a method definition where it accepted basically different things under different circumstances which isn't always good right but for for me when when there was a case when we wanted it right that's explicitly when we would choose to use that for the most part you know i mean uh if you remember the nice sandy Metz rules right like uh you're not supposed to pass more than what four parameters or whatever Including your hash keys, right? So, yep. but it, it and the whole point of that rule, right, is you know when you have a whole bunch of parameters, you know, you kind of lose your. You probably have something to extract. And it's just a smell test for you.
2: Yeah, good old clean here. code. Yeah.
1: So, but but there are cases, right, when I explicitly want to pass objects that are different, or I explicitly want to pass parameters for different cases, maybe for Something that's like managing other objects or, you know, very unique cases or whatever. And I totally have abused this under those cases. And those are the cases that are going to be a little, yeah. Anyway, those are going to be fun to deal with.
2: Yeah, I've got um, production code where I want to often want to call a function and say, process this order, but do not trigger this particular part of the method call, for example, would be of writes to the database, you know, or marks sends a confirmation to the server. And yeah, you can put like a true or false as a parameter, but having a name parameter like don't tell the server equals, you know, and then code on true is a much, much more readable way of doing it. Yeah, there's, there's
1: definitely good and bad stuff, but it, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think if you have tons of this around your code, most of the time it's because you're kind of abusing it. There are definitely I feel like there's there's okay. So for every anti-pattern, right? The reason why it's an anti-pattern is because there is some use case, which it makes sense mm. for. And you might have one of those and you'll have to throw up your hands here, but
2: yeah, I I I like the readability. It can definitely be abused. So the the fix for the warnings that you get when you move to 2.7 is there's a ruby2 underscore keywords method, I presume, that uh, you can put ahead of your method definition. So if you've got the old style, instead of writing def my method, you can write ruby2 underscore keyword space def space my method, and that will kind of fix it for you without adding extra lines of code. But... um, That's not a code smell. Right? (laughs) But in if you do want to write compatible code across like Ruby two to Ruby three, you have to do something slightly more exotic where you use that uh, with a symbol that's the name of the method, and uh, we'll get into that the more Ruby three stuff. The other thing uh, uh, yeah, is the uh, you can now use non symbols, as in things that are not symbols, as keyword arguments when you're passing them to your methods. So you don't have to use a symbol in the hash that contains the keyword arguments in Ruby 2.7. Now this, I know you see you, I see you furrowing, furrowing your brow in consternation, but this is a pattern I've seen in ES6 where in JavaScript, you can have non-string keys, yes, objects. And you can leverage this in ways that I'm still learning about. But I think this is why this was introduced to meet this need.
0: Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun and having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Ray gun. They're definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at rubyrogues.com/slash-raygun.
1: So you could already do that in hashes, right?
2: Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, if you 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 may have encountered this when you were splatting a hash, right? That uh you it, was like, hey, it blew up because such and such thing wasn't a symbol, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact message or whatever. And you're like, oh, I just need to symbolize my hash because your hash probably had a string in it. In most cases, right? If I had an object, then it will. That's going to be a little harder. And I feel like, okay, how does this interact? Did you did you look up how this interacted? If I just like turn on Ruby two keywords, no. <laughs> no, okay. I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> So, if I turn on, so what I'm thinking here, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. So, I'm thinking if I turn on Ruby 2 keywords, then it makes all my ills go away because now it doesn't matter if I have, if I splat a hash that has a string in it, because it will get past. I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing to do.
2: I'm just, I'm 99% sure that's what it does.
0: I want to use keys that are numbers. So, just like JavaScript arrays, right? So, zero, one, two, Right, and then see what that does to my hashes.
1: <laughs> I don't think an object is a valid variable name, though. So it would be very difficult to access.
0: Yeah, but zero and one and two, they're just yes, they're numeric literals.
1: Oh, geez. Also <laughs> invalid. Just, how can how can I hurt Ruby? <laughs> maybe maybe there's limitations to this. Maybe
2: I didn't I didn't notice that one. So there's, there's more changes with the double splat on the empty hash. Now, this is not something I do, but it's the, this is, again, another breaking change in 2.7 if you use this. And um, this was changed due to numerous bug reports filed on the, um, the Ruby Lang project, uh, which is the sure sign. You know, if you you want to get something changed in Ruby, just keep finding bug reports under different names. You can make (laughs) the language do whatever you want. So, this was the, uh, it's it's tricky to explain, but this is the idea that if you pass a double splat with an empty hash, uh, then the method will actually receive an empty hash instead of nothing at all. And before, um, okay, say that again. Hang on, I'm yeah, trying right. To visualize so this. you've got you've got asterisk asterisk curly braces. That's what we say. Uh-huh. Uh, double splat empty hash. This used to send an empty hash in. So if you've got, uh, for example, a method with a default, say x equals one. Yeah. Okay. And then the rest of keyword arguments being received in a hash. That default value of one will not be triggered if you pass in a a double splat empty hash before 2.7. Instead, that X will get an empty hash. And this is what was confusing everyone and leaving people with filed bug reports because they would expect if you pass in an empty hash, then the defaults will kick in for the method. Mm -hmm. But they don't. They get overwritten by the empty hash. So in 2.7, they removed it. And instead, now, from 2.7 on, you, your default value will be triggered. So it's a bug fix. It's
0: not necessarily an unexpected
2: or new... I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk the wrath of Ruby Gods by describing it as a bug fix, but uh, it was sufficiently <laughs> non-intuitive that they changed it. Okay. I Fair do enough. remember
1: running into that, and I do remember banging my head against the keyboard until I figured it out.
2: So at the same time that they have reduced something unintuitive, they also introduced numbered parameters, which is almost foreshadowing, in my opinion, you know, in Hollywood terms, as to introducing features that will greatly confuse people. Mm-hmm. So what are numbered parameters? So this is this is when you call your enumerable, you've got your array of things, and you're calling dot each, and mm-hmm. you need your, your pipe, don't you? You need your pipe characters in your block to tell mm-hmm. uh, your program what the variable name is of that, item in the array as you loop over them so if you've got something like i don't know addresses dot each then you've got your pipe address and then the address mm-hmm. becomes that numbered parameters gets rid of both the pipes and the word address and instead you can just start using these numbered parameters without typing in the pipe symbol which saves you you know often a shift as well as a key stroke why it's, I, uh... it's better than that it's better than that because they so they were originally going to use the syntax of these numbered parameters using the at symbol. Okay. So they looked like class variables. Uh-huh. Uh, but there was a popular revolt on the Ruby Lang list and they changed it to an underscore. So now instead of going addresses.each, open curly braces, pipe address, pipe put address, you can now just type addresses.each put underscore one and because the underscore one one means the first parameter you can use underscore one instead of address i know i'm going to use this but it's a lot less readable yeah i mean i I, I get that point because the vast majority of my code looks like i don't know addresses dot each pipe a you just take the first letter don't you of of the variable because you can't be bothered to singular, singularize it. I type and it all out myself when I use the pipes. Well, that's 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 the difference between an amateur and a professional, right there. But uh, <laughs> I I don't.
0: No, I, that's the difference between me knowing that I'm going to come back later and go, what the hell is a?
2: I come uh. up with it. When you've got a few nested, I come up with increasing kind of uh, increasingly cryptic systems. So sometimes I use the first two letters of a variable you know, to disambiguate. Should we discuss the fact that you're nesting? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's life without uh, a nested loop?
1: I'm, I have totally nested before, and by the when when I get to the point where I'm like writing cryptic variables, I'm like, John, maybe you should refactor this. And and yeah, sometimes maybe. it works. <laughs> I I actually see this one happening. I think that it is less readable. But I do think that the fact that it saves people the pipe character actually ends up winning out in the long run. And and I think that we'll just get used to the style difference and then Mm -hmm. we'll just be like, oh, this is just how it works. So that's my prediction that I'm hoping, well, I don't know that I'm hoping that it will be right, but that's what I think will be.
2: Yeah, but it kind of makes it look a bit more like Pearl to me. I can't tell you why. It's just a kind of <laughs> there, there's an that. endorsement, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a third of all Ruby programmers immediately go
2: out and change their code to this.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's that many, but
2: there seem to be quite a few. Yeah, it's it's you, you, it's it's definitely as I said, you can use it to enrage your colleagues and uh, extend the code reviews indefinitely.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I really like is the beginless range. I'm actually very excited about this because there are so many times when i thought that i should just be able to do this rather than having to do 0 or -1 that that i'm just like sweet that's cool and, and I, I don't think it makes it hard to read go ahead
0: i i agree i think i think 0 is a reasonable assumption for like an, an array of numbers and i think like a is the same thing for an array of you know single character strings I don't know how far I would carry it beyond that, though.
1: I also completely missed that this was a feature coming until you made this list.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. See yeah, Luke made us
1: a list. We went and did our <laughs> homework,
0: and then we we're working off of Luke's list.
2: <laughs> this, this, I don't get. I don't understand the value for beginners range. This, this, to me, to me, this adds no value. But uh, it's minimal. Yeah. But you're, you're eliminating
1: a zero, right? That yeah. in my my head, that's that's really it. Yeah,
0: It's a reasonable assumption in my brain that you would start at zero on on a range of something to three. I also like to
1: clarify that I'm not using negative one as my starting point. I just, there have been occasions when I've said, "Hmm, I want to very clearly be able to start at a point and get somewhere. And uh, I know that I can start it, you know. Uh, I guess maybe what I should say is what I really want is ranges that, I don't have to put negative one at the end, right? Um, mm. That's actually what
2: I'm thinking in my head. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it again. This looks like ES6 to me. This is the kind of thing which they've been introducing in JavaScript. It's mm. kind of sugar.
1: Wait, this is in JavaScript? I don't remember this. JavaScript doesn't have ranges.
2: Syntax, uh... lots of leading dots. So you've got the, the triple <laughs> the dot. dot <tri-dot? laughs> Yeah, awesome. they, they do. Kind of...
0: The triple dot does everything in JavaScript now. It's
1: not a lie. It's a very, very accurate, accurate summary. It is. It's true. It's basically <laughs> just the splat operator for us.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: Yeah. No, I, I like. It. I would also like it if I could do the endless range. I guess, right? Maybe
2: I can. I don't know. If I'm and I just don't know it. I have a feeling that's that was I already think, in there. Yeah, I, I think that would
0: be that would be counterintuitive given a beginless range that actually infers a beginning.
2: Yeah, I guess the real question is: if you just type array dot dot, do you get everything? <laughs> I feel like what you just said is
1: not what you what I thought that you were going to say. So array dot dot will throw an error. Do you mean like zero dot dot, or for no. range?
2: No, 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 I mean, I mean array array square bracket dot dot a close square bracket. Does that give me? Oh, an oh,
1: hmm.
2: yeah. Yeah, but is that an inclusive? Is that inclusive of negative
0: infinity and positive infinity?
1: Right, I mean, luckily you don't have to do that. You can just say array, <laughs> but but maybe maybe there's maybe there's a, a use case for that that I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, you can totally do it. Nope, you can't. You can't. Just yeah. found it. There is an endless range, but you can't use it as an array.
0: Okay. No, because anyway. it's going to try and instantiate the values. I think.
1: Yeah, it looks like, and you you'll can, overrun your heap. You can. It is a valid range. It's just not. A valid iterable yeah so you can use it to slice your array though cool yeah. all right so i didn't know that we had this very cool i learned something today that i was not expecting to learn today
0: we only have this in 2.7 not
1: 2.6 yeah let me look up let me look up uh which version of ruby i found that in that was 2.6 that i just found this in. Ooh, nice. so endless range exists already in 2.6 the
2: the feature i am excited about is the dot tally function for a new reverse it's, it's this is this is something i do so often 90 percent of the work i do involves counting how many of things i have you know for manufacturing so this is gonna <laughs> massively reduce all of my code bases so luke doesn't have to take off his toes to do his
0: programming anymore luke is yeah off his
2: shoes Tally i said take off his shoes. toes <laughs> Tally's I mean, just take eliminated off his shoes luke. Yeah. What I usually what I usually do is, you know, do do hash key assignment to count things. Yeah. So the idea that you can just replace all my hash key assignments with a dot tally after it, and then that gives you a hash with the with the the uh, the key being the object itself and the value and how many times it appears. Is that's most of my code gone. Yeah.
0: I mean, you would either do a dot filter or a dot. Count and then a dot filter. I, I mean saving yeah. active record has this sort of thing already. Uh well active records pulling it out of the database. So the database does it.
1: Yeah. So the other thing is that when you pull back an array of records from the database, right? It's not it's not ABCD. It is unique record that has a property of A. Right. So then you end up doing like group by or something, right? Yep. And then, and then you, you call dot count, count and your database. Yeah, you count your array in each of the keys of your group by um yep. that's that's typically how i've done tallying for rails type things um yeah i haven't had to do but yeah your database
0: engine does it ruby doesn't do it for you
1: oh I, I meant if i did the group by thing then i would do it oh but yeah you could just do it straight in the query too
0: yep yeah and you can do your tallies in the database as well and get counts based on your stuff too so
1: I was thinking about an app where we had special objects that were external to the data. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah,
2: that would work too. All
1: right, makes sense. I haven't had to use it. Some people seemed very excited about it. Luke included, apparently.
2: Yeah. Well, it's mainly if I'm if I'm doing business logic rather than array lookup. So this is stuff after I've got the objects out of the array out of the database. Mm-hmm. So I've already done my query, and now those are in JSON field json column the database and now i'm iterating over So that's that's when i tend to hit them uh it's always more efficient to do it before you get it you know as you're getting out of the database as chuck So yeah so the next one is again another one which i don't see the use for because i just don't have any private methods in my code i don't believe <laughs> uh, this, uh, you can you can now call self dot private method i'm a very public man and i like my methods public or that used to be the case until I discovered that instead of reading API code or API documentation or guides, I could just use LS in the Pry shell and learn all of my interfaces by inspecting objects. So now I am grateful for private methods because they don't tend to appear when you expect the classes. And that vastly cleans up discovering how your classes work through the Pry shell. I'm sorry. So run this by me again. If you run self
0: have so a private used to, method
2: if you called a private method using self.private underscore method so you' you've declared mm-hmm. a private method in your class you can call it as a normal method so you can just say private method and now uh-huh. you've got you can call it but what you couldn't do before is to call it using self.private method for right, some because reason. because it was a private method
1: uh, yeah, yeah because then it puts you in the position of being external object calling
2: Yourself. Yeah, you're calling
1: it the way you call a public method.
2: Yep. Yeah. So even if you called the instance of our self, is still gonna gonna throw an error exception. So now it checks
0: the the context instead of checking the call method. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying exactly that.
1: All right. Yeah. I have not run into that. I suppose that would bug me if I had.
0: That wouldn't bug me. I'd be telling myself that I was doing it wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, this is a private method. I shouldn't be calling it self.private method.
1: I, I feel like all the metaprogramming things that I can think of, I'd be calling send anyway. So yeah. I, I would completely skip by this problem. So I'm not sure how I would encounter this, but...
0: I mean, I can I can kind of see people thinking, okay, I'm calling it against myself, so I'm going to call self. for this private method. But, I mean, the, the principles of programming and the ideas behind what a private method is you should understand that you wouldn't assume that you can call it you know in, in a way that you would call any method for an external you know interface. So mm, but I'm quibbling yeah. over something that honestly probably won't affect
1: me Yeah 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 as we're starting to get down into the the smaller features here, are there some other ones that that we feel like are we should talk about?
2: Well the the, the one the one that I really hate, is the um change to uh, calling proc.new and proc will throw a warning in 2.7 if it's called a method and this is something that's done a lot of very widely used gems and uh presumably since it's a warning in 2.7 all of these will now error in 3. Uh, I'm sorry gem. run that by me
0: again. So if you if call you, proc if you call proc.new uh huh
2: In a method where you haven't explicitly declared a block, it will throw a warning. Okay. So if you haven't done your ampersand block, presumably. Mm. I get what you're saying.
1: So the implicit ampersand block that we always used to have is gone? Is that what we're saying?
2: That's exactly what we're saying. Whether it's right or not, I don't know. That's my reading of it.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel like that's going to catch a bunch of things.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have to go look at that and just
2: see what the ins and outs of that are.
1: But the fact that it's worn should make it a little easier to clean up.
2: The other really weird thing before moving to the amazing Ruby 2.8 and, uh, of course, all the wonderful re- features in Ruby 2.9 is the compiled binary. So there's a big improvement in the performance on the compiled binaries. And this is something which I did know you could do because I was asked to obfuscate some code on the job a few years ago. And you can compile your Ruby programs so that other people can't easily see what you're doing using the Ruby VM. And I think a lot of people don't know this. I think, um, I'm, in fact, I've seen some major, some very substantial sh- companies ship code that they probably should be shipping as a, as a, um, as a binary rather than just a plain text Ruby file.
1: I mean, there was always mRuby, but yeah, mm. I, I knew about mRuby. I didn't know that you could compile directly.
2: So, so John, if you could take us through all the Ruby 2.8 and 2.9 features.
1: Yeah, the fact that Ruby 2.8 is 3.0 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do remember I remember that article uh that I was talking about. It talked about all those scary things say, saying something about 2.8 uh, the scary things with the uh, uh whatever it was keyword arguments stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what about 3? Yeah,
2: just just to say yeah. why there's no Ruby 2.8 because if you go if you go looking for Ruby 2.8 you will find it on Google. Oh really? Uh, Oh yeah, because it was it was there's loads of development done under that tag, huh? I... And it was only in August of 2020 when Matt said enough's enough in kind of Linus Torvald style. We're gonna have a new major version, nice. and presumably because he felt he met his target of the Ruby three by three that we talked about at the start of this episode. Makes sense. Cool. Well, I think we should probably just do another
0: episode to talk about Ruby three because. We are an hour in now, right? And I think there's plenty more to go into and I don't want to rush it. We do have a guest next week, so I will schedule it for the week after. That's
1: and awesome.
0: then, yeah, we can we can just dive in. So folks, look for it in two weeks, the Ruby uh, 3.0. But yeah, interesting stuff. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Jim Wyrick going from Rake 0.9 to Rake 10 which was one of my favorite things. So, yeah. Deal. All right. So, yeah, there you have it. Talking through, uh, if you're on Ruby 2.6, that's kind of what you're looking at, Ruby 2.7 in prep for moving to 3.0. And, uh, yeah, we'll dive into uh, Ruby 3 in two weeks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Let's go ahead and do some picks. And thank you, Luke, for pulling together all of this list. You can I
2: mean, now take all the blame for all the things we've got wrong.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. I will take some of the blame for that because I'm sure some of it was my fault. John, do you have some picks?
1: I have some a little bit more Or. We're not something you can buy on Amazon picks this week okay. as I have been doing baby things all week. I don't want to tell nice you that. what product to purchase. I am just going to like tell you some cool stuff. So uh, the first thing that I want to definitely pick is having somebody like freaking help you was <laughs> the best thing ever, even the second time around. So I'm having our grandma here taking care of our, or my son's grandma here taking care of my son totally saved our butts multiple times during this COVID epidemic. So, you know, you can't just... uh, Basically, the the issue is that the hospital wouldn't let me come and go as I pleased. So I couldn't both, you know, kind of take care of my son, which maybe I could kind of get away with because he couldn't come in and I could come in, you know, with all these restrictions and everything. So I had to have help and that really limited us. So having somebody here totally took a lot of the logistics trouble out of having a kid not that all of you out there are having kids but for the five of you that are there you go and and then the other thing that i definitely got not too recently is so i have a water bottle that i like always keep by my desk you know and stuff and i like drink out of it that's just what i do and then i was just like i wonder if uh so i it's like a swell bottle that's, like, the brand or whatever. And I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder... Because they, like, keep your stuff cold for, like, two days. um, Like, I still have ice after, you know, 36 hours kind of thing. um, So, I was like, I wonder if they have a bigger thing. And they totally did. They had this... Gi- I'm showing it to everybody on the podcast. They had this gigantic freaking
2: uh, 64-ounce oh like thing or whatever. It looks like a gourd.
1: It pretty much. Yeah, it wasn't, like, a pretty pattern or anything. But they... Whatever. They had it. And it... I mean, I just put ice water in it. And... So now I'm drinking plenty of water because I don't have to like go downstairs to refill my water bottle every hour. I can just refill my water bottle from my gourd here. So John tried taken... to fit
0: the baby in there, and it worked. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> baby's a little bit bigger, but not much. So anyway, those are my two picks. I'll actually find a link for that second one.
2: Good deal. How about you, Luke? What what are your picks? I've got an anti pick, uh, which I think you might agree with, John. So uh, it's it's reinstalling everything week this week, and I I, uh, <laughs> I upgraded to Big Sur or Big Ooh-ee. Sur on the Mac, and I hate it. I hate it, and I will tell you I what like I hate it. is the enormous window furniture the the size of the the what do you call it the title oh, yeah. bar of the windows the Chrome is enormous enormous. And I can't find a way to reduce it. I've tried a few things, none of them work. You know, I'm I'm considering rotating my screen ninety degrees and learning to type sideways. It's that bad.
1: <laughs> I uh, I agree. I uh, I've been putting it off as well, waiting for all of you to try it first. Story of your life, right? Pretty
2: much. I mean, I mean, it's been rock solid. Everything works after yeah. the upgrade, everything you care about is fine on Big Sur, and operating systems ain't easy, so kudos to the team at Apple for making it totally totally seamless. I, I know the big stuff like SIP came in in Catalina, but, you know, essentially flawless for me, for a dev machine. My other pick this week is my coding music, which is Hard Times by Paramore, surely a topical song, on a one-hour loop which you can find on YouTube. And I just listen to that nonstop while coding. So there we go. that's my pick. Hard Times by Paramore. Great album. Great song. Nice. All right.
0: I've got a couple of picks. So I've been having some pain in my wrist lately. And so I went to the doctor and talked to them. I've had issues before with uh, repetitive stress injury or carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, I, I get looks from people when I say carpal tunnel syndrome. and I get looks from different people when I say repetitive stress injury, because people talk about it differently. But when I ran into that issue, essentially, my problem was, is I'd have like my pinky finger and my ring finger go numb on my hands. Right. And so this was not it. Yeah. So I'd have two fingers go numb. And then with this, instead, it was just this pain in my wrist And it was mostly centered kind of at the very base of my thumb, like on my wrist at the base of my thumb. And so my problem was, was that it hurt, right? So I'd, I'd reach down and I helped my wife up off the couch and I, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that hurts. Or I'd be up here working and I, you know, I pick something up off the desk and I, you know, turn my wrist to pick it up and it, Oh yeah, that hurts. Right. I pick up my five-year-old and, she weighs 10 zillion pounds and it hurt. So, you know, it's like, well, crap, what do I do? And so I went to Walgreens and I picked up a $20 wrist brace. And boy, this thing has been real nice to have. And it solved a lot of my issues. So I'm going to see if I can find a link to it either on Amazon or Walgreens or whatever. I went to Walgreens.com and I am not seeing it Um I just went into the store, honestly, and I got it. It's not the Walgreens brand one. It's a different one. And it's got kind of this X pattern on the back um, in blue. And it's just got some straps on it. And then it's got a metal um, thing on the front. And it just keeps your wrist from bending too much. And it's alleviated a lot of the pain. I did go to the doctor. And the doctor prescribed me um, like a low-grade steroid. and, And that's supposed to help help it just recover. It turns out it's tendinitis. So, you know, I use my hands a lot. And <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so that's kind of the deal there. Another thing I did is I got the Logitech keyboard that Dave recommended last week, the, the ergonomic one. And one thing I don't think he mentioned that has come in really handy for me is it's got these, what they call easy buttons on them. And so essentially what it has, it has three Bluetooth receivers in it. And since I'm sitting here and I've got one computer for work for my full-time job, and I've got another computer that I do all of the podcast stuff on, right? Because I don't want to mix them. So I've got my personal machine. I set up my personal machine kind of in front of me. And then I have my work machine in front of me as well. Um, I have it paired with both computers. And so since I'm pair programming, when when I'm navigating... Sometimes I can switch over to the other computer and just, you know, answer messages or something come in from my wife on my personal machine. And so that's really nice to be able to do that while I'm pair programming, right? And so, you know, pair programming over Teams. So I'm liking that. And then I got this Anker, A-N-K-E-R. It's a vertical mouse. So if you take the regular mouse and you tip it on its side, that's been really comfortable. It is not comfortable to use with the wrist brace on. But without the wrist brace, it fits really nicely into my hand and I don't have to twist my arm in order to use it. And so that's kind of what I've been using for some of that stuff. If you're running into any of that, if you're running into wrist pain, that's what I would recommend. If you are experiencing any numbness at all in your hands, you need to go see a doctor because it is the repetitive stress carpal tunnel type thing. And they will give you certain kinds of exercises. I've had this before. And it solved it. I just did exercises and I solved it. I didn't have to have surgery. Um, If it's bad enough or it won't go away, you have to have surgery. But I didn't. Um, But they can walk you through how to take care of that. And sooner rather than later is a good plan. So anyway, I'm just going to throw that out there. But yeah, if you're having pain in your wrist, in uh, any of your fingers, then it's a good idea to go in because they do have medication that can help you get, get over it. And then just immobilizing it for a couple of weeks with a wrist brace so yeah anyway probably have to talk a little bit about ergonomics at some point but i'm not an expert um i just kind of figure this stuff out by talking to people no more than i do so those are my picks and then i'll also just mention the uh dev heroes accelerator if you're looking to be a dev influencer and take your career kind of the next level that way and yeah that's all i got all right well let's go ahead and wrap this up thanks that was really cool we'll do a part two here in a couple weeks and until next time, folks, Max out. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.